I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. She's a roofer, and she's a roofer. I don't know why I said it that way, but she's it's a, like she's a roofer. Yeah, there's nothing like, wrong with you know patched up for a living. With, yeah, that's so funny. There's nothing wrong with so, that, but it's like, what do we do with this lesbian? Let's put her on a, a like. Roof. Well, what she she can only obviously do something with her hands. She could yeah. be a construction worker. Yeah, and that's it. I'm diking out. You're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Hi and welcome to Diking Out, the only podcast that wishes the beautiful and bisexual Jillian Anderson a happy birthday in its intro. Happy birthday, Jillian. <laughs> I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Sarah York. So before we get into things, I do want to say for any of our London listeners that I will be performing some stand-up comedy in London September 12th and 13th. If you go to my website, cbcomedy.com. Dot com, uh, you will see where I will be having shows. I'm trying to add more shows. Right now there's uh, only two, but I'm really excited. And I hope British people find me funny. Um, <laughs> coincidentally, I'll also be there the same week that Cameron Esposito has sold out the Soho oh. Theater. But that's okay, because I'm going to be at... 
Old Mary's Cocktail Bar, <laughs> uh, which, you know, sounds like a better venue for me because yeah, yeah, I, I think that's good. like to think of myself as an old Mary. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? Based We're all on a bunch of old Marys. Based on the listener that called me Carol in a in an email, <laughs> it was an amazing email. Me about yeah, I'm not going to embarrass her by reading no, the email, it was but great she did we call me it. Carol. And please send us more emails once a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, you should have changed your name to Carol for three weeks instead of <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> I will when I enter a nursing home. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be my my next and last name change. <laughs> Will be Carol. Yeah, Cameron's gonna be there. She's also gonna be recording um, her podcast query because it's also the London Podcast Festival, and I somehow missed that one as well. There's a I podcast think, festival. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't plan this well because um, I'm going there for a wedding, and then yeah. I was like, "Oh, maybe I'll go a day early and yeah. do a show." And then I got booked on two shows, so I'm like, "I'll go two days early and do shows." And um, and see London. I, I've actually never been to England, so I'm excited about that. But Karina <laughs> sent me a message uh, because she is on the pulse of all things lesbian. <laughs> she to sure let is. me know that uh, Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher announced that they are separating. Yeah, I saw and that. And little lesbian hearts broke. Tis the season, man. I don't know. That sucks. Uh-uh. <laughs> I feel bad because they they were mature and they were, they did like the celebrity thing and they released like. Yeah, I- identical tweets basically at the, yeah. like the exact same time, and and I think on Facebook and on Instagram, yeah, yeah. just p- putting that message. I would like out to be everywhere. famous enough to have to do that if I break up with someone. Yeah, to have no choice but to have like a nice, you know, a nice, neat little statement to reach, you know, to release on all platforms. It is sad. I do feel bad because I think they're an awesome couple, and I did not. I have not seen their show. Have you seen it? Take my wife. Take my wife. Um, I will say I tried watching the pilot and I didn't get all the way through it. Uh, Not to say that the pilot was bad or anything like that. It could have been, I don't know. There are a lot of things that I start and I don't finish for for various reasons. Social media has ruined my attention span to the point where if I don't finish something, it is not an indictment of the material. It's just that I was looking at my phone. (laughs) Um, Something that is an indictment of the material. So a couple of people, including um, some listeners, have asked if we've seen the movie Below Her Mouth. So after I saw um, the miseducation of Cameron Post, I, uh, you know, the the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. Uh, I totally recommend seeing it if you haven't seen it. And it's, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but it's directed by like a um, bisexual or queer mm-hmm. um, Iranian woman. And i just think it it was well done. Um, the book's also great. They go well together. And I'm like, you know, I really enjoy watching movies with queer content, with mm-hmm. lesbian stories, and I haven't made time for that in a while. So I'm like, I'm going to watch this movie below her mouth. So last night I go to watch it and... It's called Below Her Mouth. Below Her Mouth. It sounds a little pornographic. It is the worst thing. It's not even worth watching it for what might be hot lesbian sex later on. I wouldn't know. I turned it off. Maybe Mm, It does have a whopping 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Right? 
<laughs> I don't know how anybody put that out there and attached their name to it. The the writing, the acting, everything about it is so bad. And it's it was created by women, which is like the thing that hurts most about it. Because yeah. if you just watched it, you would think like, and then you oh, look at you would think I'm gonna look at the screenwriter this. and that's a man, but yeah. it's not. Yeah, you would definitely think it's either a man or some like really Were repressed straight good? woman. I only saw the one in the beginning and it wasn't good because she was like all detached in it because mm. she's kind of like a Shane type. I couldn't get through it. So then I turned that off and then um, one of the like the recommended like if you like this, you might like this. And uh, the movie Duck Butter came up, which was one I wanted to see in theaters and never did. And that's with Aaliyah Shawkat, mm-hmm. who's only 29. Really? Yeah. Oh, everyone so, so successful is younger than me. So for her age, man. She's done so much. Yeah. So Duck Butter is the movie about uh, these two women that meet in a club in L.A. And they decide to get to know each other by having sex every hour. What? That's the worst way to do anything. But this is the thing. It's co-written by Alicia Shawkat. Really? So I'm like, That's loving exhausting. the fact that she's like, I'm going to write this movie that requires me to do 24 sex scenes oh, with a lady. I see now. Okay. <laughs> That's why I, I... Wouldn't you, wouldn't that just get like exhausting after a while? Like, I don't I mean, know. I didn't get I'm all about like thing. having sex when you barely know each other. That's fine. But like... Every hour. I don't know. I don't really get it. You know, it's like an artist journey type thing when you watch it. They like, they're just kind of like, what if we just get to know each other like in a short amount of time and like condense all the bullshit that you spread out and like, and it it, kind of mounts. They're like, what if we spend all this time together? And then one of them is like, and have sex every hour. And it's like, yes. And then so they're young lesbians (laughs) in in their first relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so I didn't finish watching the movie because I am a lesbian and I, I have a bedtime. I can't stay up past midnight. Uh, and after wasting my time on the last one, I didn't get very far, but it is on Netflix. So if you're deciding between movies to watch, um, below her mouth is a no way Jose and duck butter is one slightly maybe better two thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I still it, haven't seen any of the, any of the lesbian classics. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's how I'm going to Two or three hourly finger bangs. <laughs> We're going to create a new system yeah. for lesbian movies, and it's going to be based on how good the lesbian sex is. I can already tell that the movie Lizzie is going to be uh, four finger bangs, which for is sure. the max finger bangs that a movie can have. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's getting four. I rarely go into a recording an episode thinking, how many times are we going to say the word finger bangs? But today, really blew it out of the water. I leave every episode thinking, I didn't say finger bangs enough. (laughs) And another thing that's going to lead us into our topic, oh, you might notice we're doing things a little bit differently this time because our guest today is a a very important lady and Mm -hmm. she's doing so much stuff that we want to talk about that we didn't want to um, rope her into our finger banging conversation (laughs) and risk her... Uh, fleeing the studio. Yeah. So we're getting this all out of the way first. And then um, Amy Siskin will be joining us. And we're so excited yeah. about it. And we'll give her a, a proper intro in a second. But 
kind of related to that, Sharice Davids uh, mm-hmm. secured the Democratic nomination for Kansas's third congressional district. Yep. She is Native American, she is a lesbian, and she is an ex-MMA fighter, and I love it. I mean, that's her her entire platform. Like, everything about her just checks all the boxes for yeah. someone I, A, would love to hang out with. Yes. B, I'm intensely intimidated by yes and see someone that uh we desperately need because i cannot believe that we have never had a native american person in congress that's like i mean actually i can't believe it but yes that's really really damning i think of our system and the way that we've treated native people oh god it's (sighs) it's it's overdue i have a really hard as someone who is from that area um my Basically, entire extended family is from Kansas. My parents are originally from there. Uh, it's hard. I don't have a lot of faith in Kansas voters, but we'll see. As far as like actually electing her, like the primary is one thing, but like I, I really, really hope she gets elected. Please, if you're in Kansas, help door knock for her. But. I think it's a Democratic district. Maybe? Yeah. All right. I think the district did go for Hillary in the general election. Oh, that's good. So yeah. I, think there, I haven't looked too far into the actual demographics of the district, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's also that she was running against a bunch of different progressive yeah. people and, and she's the one that, that they chose. That's so good. that's Great. very encouraging. And, um, yeah, if, if you live in that area, do everything you can. If you don't live in that area, you can always, uh, donate, um, as much as money in politics sucks, mm-hmm. it can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And um, I also do not like reducing a woman to her looks, but she's hot. She is hot. She's yeah. really hot. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sick of looking at pictures of Congress and having all these Ugh. old, ugly, old man bags of Just like skin. old, they look like just big thumbs with suits on. Yeah. They're just, just gross. Yeah. We need more like, we need just more like, Hot people for the good of the country. We like do, I think people yeah. would pay more attention. I mean, um, I have a huge crush on Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I think she's hot. Oh yeah, that she's too. A babe, yes, that's kind of a given. All these babes. Not only are like record number of uh, women running, but a record number of babes. Yeah. And again, you don't have to be a babe, and nothing against non-babes because you women are also awesome and bring right. a lot to the table. Yeah. I'm a feminist. Yeah. <laughs> I promise. Oh, I'm really glad Amy wasn't here to hear me reduce. She's going to hate this episode. She's not listening to this episode. There's no way. She doesn't have have time. time. Yeah. She doesn't have time. She is, she's documenting everything that's going on right now. I mean, I'm, I, she's following the Mueller investigation really closely, which is why I'm, I love following her on Twitter because it is literally my main interest these days is following this situation. And today, in fact, is when like, some cool shit happened, which yeah. we'll talk to her about a little bit. I just need a little bit. I need a little bit of Mueller discussion okay. with her. I'm, I didn't come up with any <laughs> questions about that figuring you would have that mm-hmm. covered. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do have some very um, expected questions from me, which she might not expect, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I I have to I have to ask, but you'll have to stay tuned until the end of the episode to see yeah. uh, what is Carolyn going to subject this very accomplished. Uh, I'm so nervous right now. Woman, too. I'm I'm very. Nervous. We're both like I wish that people could actually see like how we're like we're 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 sitting awkwardly in our chairs. Like, I don't usually been, sit like this. Yeah, I've been nervous about this 
for for weeks ever since she agreed to do the the podcast. So what happened was I I met her in person at this um, event, this panel for empowering women. I went there and then I like awkwardly stood around, you know, when people wait to stand and talk to speakers. Oh yeah. And then I gave her uh, a decking out business card with my wrong name on it. Um, <laughs> and said, so, would you like to be on a podcast called Diking Out? And she was like, absolutely. I'm like, oh my God. Great. I love that. <laughs> this is happening. And then I texted Sarah a picture of the two of us together uh, because I was so excited. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, let's get let's get to the interview, guys. We hope you enjoy it as much as we know we will. All right. So today we are diking out with Amy Siskin about activism. Amy is a national spokesperson, writer, and expert on helping girls advance and succeed. She is the president of The New Agenda. She's an LGBTQ rights activist, and she started a very important project turned book, turned now podcast called The Weekly List. Amy, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So your podcast is coming out very soon, right? My, I'm actually just on week 11. It, it drops every Monday morning and it summarizes the week prior and gives some analysis to the lists in written form, some trends and some um, kind of putting pieces of the puzzle together as they start to develop. How do you even know where to begin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I guess I'm sort of like the movie The Rain Man. I have this encyclopedic knowledge since I've read every article since November 2016 that's been in the list. And so when things pop up, they make sense to me in a much broader scheme of things. Um, yeah, I mean, like I have Donald Trump on the brain straight through since November 2016. So an item will come up relating to Cambridge Analytica or Sinclair Broadcasting or Donald Jr., and it will make sense to me in a context of other items that have happened along the way. And so the list itself is now around 160 to 170 not normal items each week. And then the podcast is really meant, you know, as, as people told me, this made me so psyched that a woman who like was a factory worker told me she didn't have time to keep up with the news during the week, but she listens to the podcast Monday on her way to work. That was exactly what I had hoped by design would happen, that people who don't have the luxury of being on Twitter or or don't, you know, or are aggravated listening to cable news and just wanting to get down to the brass tacks of what's happening without spin, I can present them in a summarized form of 50 minutes, everything that they need to know. And, and what's happened and what I observe with the list is it might be 160, 170 items, but 80% of the media's coverage will be on, say, 20 to 30 of those items. And the rest of the items, other than single-source coverage, got no attention. And yet there are important stories that sure. form the mosaic of what we're experiencing, mm -hmm. especially as it relates to marginalized communities. Those stories get very little coverage. And that was actually what pushed me to start the podcast was you know, the fact that those stories were not getting the attention they deserved. Yeah, that's something that I think about with everything, all of the assault that's happening on the environment, on immigrants, the just unapologetic racism um, that's happening in policy across the board that... Um, 
when it comes specifically to to LGBTQ rights, there's also a lot of bad stuff going on there. But I feel like I'm not even on top of it, even though it affects my life directly just because it's this fire hose of news that's being thrown at us. Yeah. And that's what that's what the list is meant to do, that you can sort by like LGBTQ and you can see the rights and protections we've lost already. And it started right away. Uh, and the pattern for our community, as with every marginalized community and the environment and science is uh, from the get go in the early weeks as he took office, information would disappear for us in week 10, I believe it was, right as he was taking office an apology from the State Department for past lights against the LGBT community was removed um, and disappeared. There was a page on the LGBT community that was taken down from the government website. Mm -hmm. There's information relating to our community from the HUD website that's been taken down. Um, It's legal to discriminate as a federal employee because of sessions against our community. One of the first things Sessions tried to do was to say sexual orientation shouldn't be part of the Civil Rights Act of the 1960s. So those are the kind of things that are captured in the list. And those are the kind of things you're right. We're living in chaos. And so the seeing it in written form, if you can get through the 160 to 170 items, you'll see the things that are being taken away. And if you can't, then I talk about them in the podcast. Um, So, yeah, but that's. I think like the beauty of writing things down and having the list out as a book is that when this is over, we can kind of trace our way back and say, wow, that protection was lost for the environment. Though mm-hmm. That information on science disappeared. That protection for a marginalized community was taken away in week 80, you know, 83 or whatever it was, and, and then work to undo what's been happening for the last year and a half. When did you get the idea to start the list? Did it start off with the hashtag not normal? No, it wasn't related to that. It was shortly after the election because I, I run a national women's organization and had been visible in politics and a lot of people were looking to me for what's next. And I had observed during the election and then after the the election that Trump didn't have a traditional set of policies or an agenda the way a typical Republican or Democrat would. And he he still doesn't. And after he won the election, and I use one in quotes, um, (laughs) there was a, a, a record amount of hate crimes in our country. And given the opportunity to condemn those, Trump said we should grant understanding to both sides, which is something he's continued to, uh, talk about. And, just the legitimized hate. It just reminded me very much of the uprise of Hitler. I'm a Jewish American. And so I I started to read up on authoritarianism. And one of the takeaways that really came through to me loud and clear was the idea of writing things down. Mm -hmm. And the Saturday after the first full week of the election, I guess that would be, it was November 19th is the day of the first list. I went up to the home of Eleanor Roosevelt, who is sort of my North Star, and I went to her home, Valkyll, and I, you know, at this point, I've been there so many times I could practically give tours, but (laughs) I I felt like I needed some spiritual guidance and just, you know, the ideas that she spoke about, that we the people are our government and we are our democracy, and the idea of writing things down. I got home that night from Valkyll and wrote the first week's list, and 
the graphic that accompanied that first week was a New York Times reporter who had criticized his own paper's coverage. That was the day that that day in November that Trump was criticizing the New York Times, the cast of SNL, and the cast of Hamilton. Yep. And he had been critical of his own paper's coverage. And then I, I screenshot it. Thankfully, the next morning I woke up, he had deleted his own tweet, which I was like, wow, that's strange. Oh, my God. Um, so that was, that's the picture that accompanies week one of the weekly list, which is at theweeklylist.org. And um, I put a lot of time each week with you know, women who helps me out with it into the pictures. They really tell the story each week of what's happening. But yeah, so that was the, the rationale behind it was just to, the things were not normal. And I just could sense the importance of writing things down to have a record of what was happening. So you have a long history of being uh, politically active. And I was kind of wondering, because now, you know, you see a lot of people who are really fired up in a way that maybe they weren't before, but you've been uh, very involved for for a long time now. Um, Wanted to hear more about, like, what are your first memories of getting involved in politics or a cause, and and how did that start for you? So I, out of college, my first 20 years out of college, worked on Wall Street. So my involvement, because of the hours I worked, was more related to donating to candidates. And I would vote, but I wasn't particularly um, politically engaged. And as I was leaving that world in 2006, uh, my daughter was writing, she was in third grade at that point, she was writing a paper, she had to write on a paper on somebody famous, and she was going to do like Alice, Alex Rodriguez from the Yankees, and I said, no, 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 <laughs> pick a woman. So <laughs> she she picked Hillary Clinton, and Hillary happened Yay. to be speaking at the Hilton, and this is 2006, June 2016, excuse me, 2006, um, right near where I worked. So I had my daughter come in. We went to the lunch. There were thousands of people. This is when she was a senator. And afterwards, Amanda went up, my daughter, and showed her her report. And Hillary, like, read it and was commenting on it and asked her about her grade. I was like, wow, I really, you know, I really, like, like this woman. And so after I stopped working on Wall Street, I I got involved when she ran for reelection in the Senate and then through that when she ran for um, president in 2008. And uh, that was just an awakening for me as a woman because, you know, uh, I guess this is atypical, but I really didn't find in my career that I I suffered from being a woman in Wall Street. I actually was successful in what I did. And the way Hillary was mistreated in the media and the double standard was such an awakening for me that um, in 2008, I, I co-founded with 30 women around the country a, an organization that I still run called the New Agenda to address um, the mistreatment and the double standard that women suffered not only in politics but in all realms. And uh, we were revolutionary at the time, and still are in a way, um, but less so now. But because we were, we decided to be inclusive of all women, so we weren't party aligned. We just felt like if a woman is mistreated in the media, or there's a double standard for women running, it hurts all of us. So um, since then, yeah, I, I obviously got involved in defending a lot of women candidates, a lot of women in corporate America, and was very involved when in this most recent election. And then afterwards, I'm, I'm just trying to get as many women into office as I can. I'm really thrilled that some of my mentees now are candidates. The, the woman running against the ringleader of the IDC in New York State 
um, is is one of my mentees that I got into politics, Alessandra Biaggi, and she's got a really good chance to take down somebody who's been running for running in, in the state Senate, a senior person for decades. And she's spectacular. And I just had a fundraiser for my house at her at my house on Sunday. And that's like the neatest part about what I do, being able to mentor young women and help um, women and women of color and LGBT women um, run for office and, 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 you know, have, have their back. I just got off a phone call with somebody right before we did this podcast. Who's running, will be the majority leader in the New York state Senate, Andrea Stewart cousins. If, if she, yeah. you know, if things go the way, she, you know, and talking to her about, she just got a challenge in the primary. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm somebody that people call and I do everything I help to, to get women into office. So that it's That's an cool. honor to and a like a privilege to see these people that you know and love yeah. <laughs> running. So it's great. For sure. Do you think that that's um, – so for me, every day I, I basically – have the same routine. I wake up and I spend about two and a half seconds before it hits me that Trump is president. When I'm in that sort of, <laughs> I just woke up that little, that little, that little oh. haze. And then, and then the rest of my day I spend trying to be productive and also trying to sort of pick through all of the, like Carolyn said earlier, the fire hose of shitty information coming to us all the time and glean, like glean some sort of like, little nuggets of hope for the future. And I keep clinging on to the increase of these women running for office and particularly young people and young women becoming like aware of how our government functions. I mean, isn't that like, to me, that seems like if I have to pick one good thing coming out of this, it's that now all of a sudden we've all been like awoken, you know, and we've been woken up in the middle of the night by a cold bucket of water on our face. And now we have to look around and actually realize how this shit works and like how we can actually change it. Um, so do you feel the same way? I mean, are you, are you optimistic that the energy generated right now is something that can carry through and become like a new normal as far as the way our, our electoral processes work? Yeah, so I, I similar. I, I wish I had that extra two and a half seconds. Or let me enjoy that while you. <laughs> oh, I love it. it. It's great. <laughs> uh, you know, when I, I when I my book first came out and I was asked by the media, there must be something good that you can say about Trump. I would say, well, thanks to him, we have the Me Too movement because I've run a women's organization for ten years and progress has been pretty slow and linear, and now it's just like a bonfire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just this last week, how exciting it is that we potentially will have our first Native American woman in Congress, yes. our first Muslim American woman yep. in Congress, November 2017, our first transgender woman in Virginia state legislator, mm-hmm. the first um, lesbian mayor in Seattle, like women of color in, winning overwhelmingly in Alabama for court seats. I mean, it's just been amazing. And I do think there's an awakening and um, an effort to fight and to run like nothing I've ever seen. And I'm hoping that it's long lasting. I think there's a huge historic gender gap. Um, And one thing that I was extremely upset about and ashamed of as a white woman in in 2016 is that 53% of white women voted for Trump. And I, the alignment of these predominantly suburban white women have changed. And 
they're not going to be part of the Republican base unless things change. So I suspect that two things are going to occur on election night. First off, the fact like the people we're talking about, our friends who never were politically involved and certainly in our local races that we've had in between 2016 and 2018, um, our, our county legislator, George Latimer, won a race that was supposed to be close by, I think, around 15 points. And people that I've never seen show up for presidential polls, presidential races showed up and are showing up. And the other thing that I think is not accounted for properly are the people graduating high school this year, my son being one, all of whom are planning to vote. I think there'll be a huge surge and they're not being um, monitored now by the polling companies, certainly in Florida, but in every state. But I do believe this is an exciting time for women and an, an awakening for our country generally for women. And I, I don't believe Trump is going to be the candidate in 2020. We can talk about that if you want. But um, I, I, you know, I, I think 2018 is is going to be a, a, a big night, despite the despite the fact there will be interference and things that will not go right because of Russia and, and whoever else is trying to hack our election. I think nonetheless, it's going to be a historic night for Democrats. So I was going to bring that up later, but uh, I guess we can go there now because, uh, you know, you you say that you don't think he's going to be the candidate in 2020, which I would love to believe. Um, It's almost like because of the disappointment of uh, of election night, I kind of almost in my mind. I've lost all ability to like think, oh, surely this won't happen. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I'm, like, too scared to to feel like, like, that would be insane. Yeah. And almost like, like when Roy Moore was running, I just thought, you know what? He's probably going to win. I'm going to donate money. Right. I'm going to spread the word for Doug Jones. But Who? this gross old man is going to is gonna win. And when he didn't, it was, like, a pleasant surprise. Right. But, uh, I mean, is, with the state of the Republican Party right now, they can't get their shit together to, I mean, if you, if you don't mind like saying who you think it might be, like who, who would you guess that they would put up in 2020? Cause I can't think of anyone that is even, even has the, you know, uh, you know has I, the backbone well, to stand I, up to Trump. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's going to be Trump, not because he won't, you know, that he'll, he'll still be there to run against somebody mm-hmm. else. I think he'll be out of office before 2020. Okay. Yeah. And we can talk about that. But if you, if you're asking me who I think it will be, my guess is, There'll be a primary with many people, and it, I think Nikki Haley could be a surprise candidate to be their candidate. Yeah. But I think you're you're more asking, do I believe Donald Trump will make it to 2020? And, and to yeah, that, my my answer is no. <laughs> I mean, and, everything seems so obviously that he he shouldn't be with the amount of stuff. But it's like the the Teflon factor. But yeah. but you, you've been following obviously everything so so closely. What what are you predicting is going to be the the timeline for things? Yeah. So when my book came out in early, excuse me, in late March, and I started to talk about the three things that I thought would take him down. I, those are still the three things, although they've all made tremendous progress in those months since. The first thing that I thought could possibly take him down was what we're talking about, the Me Too movement and the fact that he had been paying off women, and we know of two, mm-hmm. 
when when my first book came out, uh, you know, Clifford and um, Stephanie Clifford and Karen McDonald, who, McDonough, who, you know, he, not only did he pay to be silent right before the election, but there was potential other intimidation and bullying and so on and so forth. You know, since then, we have Michael Cohen being raided by the FBI. We have Michael Cohen cooperating. Mm-hmm. All the documents related to Cohen have been turned over. He potentially is going to be a witness or is tra- applying to be a witness against Trump. Trump's bookkeeper also, who has all the records, including his tax records, um, has been subpoenaed in that probe. And that's all part of what's happening in the Southern District of New York. And so they have all the payments. They have records of all the payments. Mm-hmm. They likely, you know, now that they just completed the discovery and the documentation today, we'll start to you know, move forward on the trial with Cohen. So keep an eye on that and what else comes out of that. I suspect you're going to see a trail of a lot of women, a lot of efforts to silence ahead of the election, which is illegal. You know, Trump at first said he didn't do it. Now he did do it. So that's one potential area. And I think we we know like the very tip of the iceberg of the number of women and what was done there. The second area is the Mueller probe. And um, Mm -hmm. I... You know, I, I think we're just starting to see that get well underway. I think Mueller set out these 25 indictments against Russians to sort of set the stage that it was indisputable that Russia did hack our election. And now that that's been done, you start to see these other cases open that draw that closer to Trump. You see the Butina trial mm-hmm. where she is accused of being a Russian spy, and she's all over my book as meeting with Donald Jr., Right before the election, um, right before his meeting, his June 9th meeting as well. She met with him in May 2016. She was part of the NRA, which donated money to Trump, uh, $21 of dark money that could have come from Russia, is very likely to have come from Russia, which is also illegal. Yep. Um, So she's got all sorts of entanglements with people that get close to Trump. It came out this week in the list that J.D. Gordon, who worked for Trump as well, was texting and in contact with her months before the election as well. And I, I suspect we'll see a lot more there. Mueller is also, this week, has three subpoenas out to people in Roger Stone's orbit. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. can guess Roger Stone is going to be reeled into this. Donald Jr. So you get kind of get the sense that, we're, you know, he's taken this one step closer. And as despite as you know, and I know all these things and I'm so knowledgeable. I still didn't know about Papadopoulos. I still didn't know Alex Vanderwick, who has been in jail and out of jail and deported. So there's a whole mm-hmm. lot that we don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I spend a lot of time analyzing Deutsche Bank. I think there's a lot that's going to come from there and these bank records and the loans to Donald Jr., excuse me, to, to Trump and to Kushner right before the election of $285 million. There's all sorts of, of areas within that realm. And I think he's very mm-hmm. nervous now. Um, and I think especially if we take over the Congress, you know, the, he's worried and he damn well should be. Um, so that's the second area. The third area, uh, last summer I made the the Politico 50 and they said, what's the story that's not being covered? And I said Cambridge Analytica, which is all over my book and all over when I say one mm-hmm. with quotation marks, there was so much so many irregularities that are well documented in my book, um, things that were, you know, in North Carolina, in red districts, voting rolls would work fine. In the blue districts next door, which were African-American, there would be problems. Um, you know, so 
even though we're not looking at that today, other than the reporting, believe me, that's being looked at in this probe. And I'm still not sure we had a fair election. And, it, you know, Trump's attitude and how he acted after the Helsinki meeting and what's going on, it, it just, I, you know, I, I think it's fertile ground to figure out whether there was something illegal and whether they were complicit in that. Don't forget, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook sat in the office with Brad Parscale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that is still a story to be told. So those are, are the three areas. And I always, you know, I, I always say the biggest thing we have going for us is Trump believes he's the best at everything he does, including being his own attorney. And these texts that he sends, excuse me, tweets that are incriminating, like saying, well, Donald Jr. wanted the dirt on Hillary and it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. You can like win in the court of public opinion, but that doesn't mean jack when you get into the actual court. And you said in your tweets that he knew that he was asking for dirt on Hillary. And and then 20 minutes after that meeting, Trump tweeted about it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, all these things we know a little bit about, these are all trails that I'm sort of tracing them like Carrie and Homeland. I have all these trails <laughs> in my mind that, that keep advancing, though. Like the, the yeah. amount that all these stories have advanced, even in the three months my book has been out, it's amazing. So we're going to wake up one morning and there's going to be an indictment against Donald Jr. or, or Roger Stone or... You know, Kushner or somebody, you know, there's just so many possibilities out there. Huh. And um, I, it's either going to happen before September 6th or we're going to have to wait till after the election. The You know, these special counsels typically take at least a thousand days on average. So it might not be yeah. as quick as we want, but I, I don't believe he's, he can weather through this. And I, and I think his behavior with Russia was so uncharacteristically not normal yeah. that yeah, I mean, even his own voters uh, were concerned about his actions with Russia. Uh, his popularity is very low, so yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens after this next election. But I, I we're it, it, we just have no idea. Yeah. It's like you know, keep you know, my kids roll my their eyes when I say un, uncharted territory. We just don't know. We're going to wake up one morning and maybe a name we've never heard of, or maybe somebody that don't forget Flint's cooperating, Papadopoulos is cooperating, Gates is cooperating. You know, there's a whole long list of people that were in his inner circle that are working with Mueller. So they're just, they've got all of the timelines in place. They're just looking for like little bits of information to complete their work. Um, and, and I think How- if I had my bet, I think Roger Stone is, is I, I wouldn't be booking any like long-term travel tickets <laughs> if I were him. <laughs> uh, did you ever think... Uh- that you would one day issue a statement that is completely plausible and referring to the president's inner circle as a Gambino-style roll-up like you did today? <laughs> I've been saying that for a long time. It's exactly what's happening. That was great. It's, it's like it's very It literally mechanical. is. I mean, it follows the Think same... Uh, we're, you know, we, we're in the part of the movie now where, like, the mobster has been, you know, on coke for four days and is, like, <laughs> running from the... He's like the Ray Liotta looking out the window and the helicopters are circling in. I, th- I think that that, to me, that's what I'm, I'm sort of gleaning from his uh, kind of thrashing around on Twitter and um, quite literally trying to distract us with a big, shiny new branch of the military. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am, it, it's, it's almost, it's like, what, it's like my main source of entertainment is to follow the, the Mueller probe, even though it's not, entertaining it's very solemn and serious um how quickly and how swift like how succinctly do you think that trump is going to throw jared kushner under the bus when the time comes oh so quick it will make your head spin. yeah i think that guy <laughs> i think everybody I, I, you know 
it's sort of like every time people ask, I say, I wish I had a law degree and a degree in psychology. Yeah. Because everybody that I, I've had a lot of psychologists come to my events and ex- try to explain Donald Trump to me. But it doesn't seem, with the exception of Ivanka, who he's got this strange who knows what with, I don't think he would protect yeah. anybody, including Donald Jr. I mean, he basically... <laughs> oh, I don't think on, he's going to Saturday basically confessed yeah. to a crime for his son. Um, yeah. You know, and and he's trying to fight, which has worked for him in his campaign, this battle of public opinion. But again, it's not going to doesn't matter, Jack, in the courts. Uh, if, yeah. if these things, if they have the the evidence, it doesn't really matter if they know who Donald Jr. called, even though it's we in the public domain know it's a block call. If they know who those calls were and it was Trump ahead of the meeting and Trump approved of a meeting where dirt on a from a foreign adversary was offered without, you know, reporting that, that's extremely damning. So I remember when when Mueller was appointed a little over a year ago and everyone said it's going to take over a year, just be patient. And I was like, oh, fuck, because everyone's going to lose their patience. And <laughs> we kind of all did. Yeah. But remember, it's only been a little more than a year. And look at all the indictments and all the people that are cooperating. Like, oh, for you sure. think Michael Flynn doesn't have a thing or two to say? <laughs> Or Gates, oh, yeah. or you know, if they get Cohen, and I'm really the thing that excites me in the Gambino roll-up is the um, accountant, his bookkeeper for decades, who was his dad's yeah. bookkeeper, yep. who prepared his taxes. That guy's got everything. That's how I Al mean, Capone got caught. I mean, that's like <laughs> exactly. I'll take whatever it is. Like I don't know what's going to bring him down, but there's no way he can survive all these things with a limited legal staff and how bad he is in terms of being disciplined and smart. He's his own right. worst enemy. Well, so. I mean, his, his attorneys won't even stick around. Giuliani's there just because it gets him on the Sunday shows. But, uh, you know, any, any I, I would assume any decent lawyers not going to attach their name to this obviously guilty person who won't even take yeah. their advice. So, Yeah, I'm surprised Flood is still there. Yeah. He's, he's had, like, this track of record of people leaving other than Sekolo, mm-hmm. who's his own long-term personal attorney. But I'm surprised that Flood is still there. And I... Yeah, I, I suspect that we'll probably see a subpoena against him, if not before the election, shortly thereafter. But a lot can happen between now and then. And then there's all the other cases we're not, not talking about, like Summer Zervos, who has the right to um, uh, to to bring him into court and depose him and get his tax returns. All, you know, there's all sorts of satellite things that kind of pop up now and then. There's just no way he can survive this. Yeah, I, I, I just don't have the insight to know which one's going to get him first. Right. But, <laughs> so yeah, here's I, here's the important question though: Who is going to play Robert Mueller in the eventual movie made about this? <laughs> I know that's a good question. I'm thinking. Uh, I think. I think it's got to be Clooney. It has to be. <laughs> we owe that to that's Robert very Mueller. Nice. Yeah, that's the least. That's the least we could do for Robert Mueller. Yeah. Um. You, you know, all the things you you list, like yes, every time I see this, I'm like, well. It's just, I need to be patient, Mm -hmm. even though the days are moving like dog ears. Like, I need to be patient and, like, let this play out and the justice system will hopefully work and then he'll be gone. But I don't think getting rid of Trump hurts Trumpism. I don't know. Like, do do you think that, like, that somebody else could just come in another loud racist anti-immigration like so at the rate that people are losing faith in the press and the rate at which um 
hate is being aimed at immigrants and immigrants in the press are being treated as the enemy, I, I worry that some of that is not... Permanent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think eventually, obviously, it could be reversed, but not before something horrible happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, do you think that, that what Trump has created in this really vicious anti-press and anti-immigrant rhetoric, not that I know that's brand new, but he has certainly emboldened these people. Do you think that that is, that he's set precedents from his office that we that we can't recover from that he's opened the door for a future, you know, Trump 2.0 to come in. No, I, I think that there'll be a direct reaction in the other direction when he's out of office, and I, I don't I believe so. he's Republican or Democrat. I believe this is a battle for our democracy. Yeah, I think he rose to power, and it was very easy for him to do this because he's a racist as well. But on the back of roughly a third of our country who are you know, have been there all along. They're they're blatantly racist, homophobic, mm-hmm. misogynist, whatever it is, xenophobic. So I, I think a third mm-hmm. a, a third of our country basically, you know, has been emboldened to be in the light of day. Whereas mm-hmm. prior to Trump, they would be saying these things and thinking these things, but doing it quietly in hushed tones in, in closed door spaces. And he's emboldened and given them a voice, but that part of our country was always there. And when people ask, I say a third of our country is going to stay with him no matter what, because mm-hmm. they don't believe in gay marriage and they don't believe that black people should be in the workplace or women or that Muslim Americans should be allowed in our country. And they believe our country should be more white and that white people have, lose, have lost their place. Those people existed before Trump and they'll exist after the good news is the other 65%, many of whom were not politically involved, are now engaged, which goes back to our earlier point. And a lot of people mm-hmm. care about our democracy. They care about what their kids are consuming in the era of Trump. So I kind of think the opposite will happen, sort of in the way that I, I think in some ways Barack Obama's presidency, the fact that an African-American man could be president – was in in some ways created, you know, the birtherism movement, the idea that how can this be, and and then gave rise to somebody like the possibility of Trump. So you know, two steps forward, one this he's our one step back, and then I think after this, what we're going to see is that things that we studied in high school that we thought were laws but turn out just to be norms mm-hmm. are going to be codified. You know, see, like in Rhode Island, they have voted in their state assembly to make it mandatory that any presidential candidate has to give out five years of their tax returns. Because those are things that were norms, Mm -hmm. and now we're going to codify them. So Rhode Island will be first. That kind of thing will spread. There'll be all sorts of things that we took for granted, these checks and balances, that we're going to learn in our fragile democracy Mm -hmm. didn't work out. And I I think it's going to be a time of change. I think politics will change forever. I think, you know, I'm an optimistic person by nature, but I also see what's happening in our country. I, you know, the record number of not only women, but people of color and LGBT people um, running for office. I think this is going to ever, forever change what we look for in the people that run for office and what we expect of them. And I think some of that will be set into law. And those people, you know, I, I always feel like the best way to deal with discrimination or racism or fear of others is to bring it into the light of day. Mm-hmm. And then you see that it's there, and then you can take it from there. I mean, the fact that Laura Ingram got on her show last night and oh, basically God, yeah. did a yeah. white nationalist rant and felt like she could do that in prime time, 
that's where we are. And that's what he's legitimized, and that's how he keeps his people excited. But there's still, the thing you have to remember, his popularity is where it started, which was low. He's never gotten above 50%. The closest he's gotten is when our media, which has done a very mixed job with him, still gave him Super Bowl-type coverage for the Singapore summit. Other than that, his approval has largely been, you know, around 40%. Um, he's, he's not moved. So mm-hmm. our country hasn't changed. I think it's just awoken the other, again, 60 to 65% of Americans that are decent Americans and don't want this vision of what he brings to us. So, no, I, I think he is a one-time pony. And when he's done, there's going to be a, a you know, a, a move back to where we were and a whole different area that will be a great thing for our country, but we'll have a lot of damage. Don't underestimate the years, if not decades of damage that this man has already done. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, yeah, I, I do think it's encouraging to see all these women and minorities running for office almost on short notice. Like I imagine three years ago, a lot of people, you know, um, even before Donald Trump was uh, the nominee, would have never thought of running for office, and now they are. So it makes me hopeful that, you know, um, two years from now, four years from now, ten years from now, we're going to get so much closer to balanced representation that actually reflects the the population of this Mm -hmm. country. Um, One thing I want to ask you, speaking about activism, is that I I think sometimes it can feel like an overwhelming thing um, that you a lot of people might feel like our problems are too big, that the enemies are too powerful. Uh, if you, if you don't have money, if you're somebody that, that works a lot of hours and you feel like you don't have enough time, it's kind of like, why, why bother? But what are some things that anybody could do, um, to help support both women and people of color and immigrants get closer to equal footing in the society? What, what do you think are like it? Like if you're going to spend your time doing something to make a difference, what, what do you think we should prioritize? Yeah, well, two things. One, I think knowledge is empowering and staying involved is empowering. And I remember the anecdote, we have a Young Woman Leadership Council as part of my organization, and there was, we, we had a retreat last year, and one of the women who was Muslim-American, her mother had told her to just ignore what was happening and not pay attention. And she said that was so disempowering to her. Mm-hmm. And it really stuck with me. And I'm really a big believer that uh, being up to speed on what's happening and being active is a feeling of empowerment. Looking away is disempowering. So a practical tool, if you work during the week and you don't have time, listen to my podcast for 50 minutes and you'll know everything you need to know each week about what you missed. If you don't want to look at Twitter all day and look at Facebook all day or, and catch up on the news and that will catch you up for 50 minutes. I also believe courage is easier than fear that to be involved and engaged. And I, I try not to be prescriptive because every person is different, but you know, if you work five days a week, um, Try to find time on weekends to use Swing Left to attend a campaign rally if you have the finances to donate. So much of what's happening, though, isn't money aligned. Um, like, you know, when I had this event for Alessandra Biaggi, there were people that, like, were so excited that day they were going to spend the next Sunday knocking on doors. So you can knock on doors. You can send postcards. You can get friends involved. But do something because being mm-hmm. active is empowering and 
uh, you know, these like little things stick with me. Like when I, people ask me to sign their books and one of the uh, grandmother had two for her grandchildren. She said, I just want them to know that I fought for them in our way of life. And I want to give it to them signed by you that I was paying attention and I was fighting for them. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and, and I really think it's powerful. Like I remember reading these tweets early on that people are saying, you know, you wonder what you would do during the uprise of Hitler, wonder what you were doing there. This is what you're doing now. So I know we're all super busy. I know many people are working two or three jobs to make ends meet. But when you have those quiet moments and whatever it is for you and whatever time and your financial you know, situation allows, try to do something or show mm-hmm. up and march yeah. or you know, protest. Just do what you can do within your realm so you can feel like in 10 years when we look back at this time or in five years or in two years – that you played your part, whatever that part allowed. Nobody's judging anybody else. But, you know, I, I think if you wake up in the morning, and, you know, this is like what drives me crazy with this Green Party stuff. If you're privileged enough to throw away your vote right now, then, you know, don't do it this year. Because there are people waking up yeah. in the morning, yeah. you know, and I and, and I like the woman who does my website is amazing. She's a naturalized citizen. They're talking about taking away citizenship for naturalized oh, people. Oh, I know. You know, for people that are here with green cards, uh, you know, if your skin isn't white and you're not straight and male, you have you wake up in the morning at risk. If you're rich and you're privileged enough not to care, then you still need to get involved. Though, you know, because there are so many people in our country waking up every day worried about walking down the street and carrying their passport because their skin is brown, that they might be rounded up going to Costco. I mean, yeah. seriously, this is like literally happening. In our, this is not our country. Yeah. We love our country. We have to fight for our country and take it back. So that's my advice is to just get involved in whatever way you can. Yeah, I mean that I, I've kind of oscillated between points where I'm like this anxiety is, is too much and I, I can't keep consuming all this. But I find that um, all the times when I do feel best has been when I've gotten involved in uh, backing a, a candidate and backing especially women and women of color. And then also going out to these protests and meeting other people and seeing the passion that like surround yourself with people who are passionate about the fight. And that feels so much better than just pretending that it's not there and kind of plugging your ears and, and humming. And, yeah. um, you know, although I still do that. So Yes. I know it's hard. <laughs> well, my, my, my wife, um, so I, yeah, I married I, a Peruvian immigrant and she, um, like we're still waiting for our green card interview, which has been like delayed tremendously. And I have this everyday fear that like someone's going to hear her speak Spanish or like, and like, like yeah. she came here legally and she came or le- legally, let me say that very <laughs> clearly. She did come here legally and did everything the right way. And still like now the new standard is that that's not enough for her to, to stay in this country. And it's, um, you know, you, you've just, you've got to fight where yeah. I'm like fighting for my wife to be able to yeah. <laughs> stay in this country with me. It's crazy, but yeah. it, yes. Um, yeah. Huh. All of us. And I mean, I think there's certain turning points, there's inflection points. I think what happened with the migrant families, which is when I, and part of the reason I started my podcast, cause that was going on for weeks before the media finally covered it. Mm-hmm. But I think that th- there are situations like that. And I remember when the me- the media did start to finally go down to the border and cover it, People would come up to me and said, oh, you're right. Like, okay, you weren't overreacting. Between that and Helsinki, I think those are just, you know, turning points for so many people in our country and awakening points that 
oh my God, that the, the, you know, forget that there are 4,600 brown people that are dead in Puerto Rico or, you know, that were tearing families apart and still like doing that. And Trump reunited two thirds of them and is like, wow, I did great. I'm brilliant. Uh, after tearing them apart. I mean, it's uh, there's just week after week in my list examples of what they're doing to make our country white and to yeah. take away rights from people who are not white, straight, Christian, and male. And our, the fabric of our country is changing. Yes, the battle for the truth, the 4,300 lies so far, you know, 7.6 a day. <laughs> Those are, That's what we're raising our families in. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, this is going to take a long time to recover, but I, I think we have to fight for our values and for what we believe. And, yeah, if you need to take a week off, that's why I always say, like, take a week, come back. You can listen to the podcast. You'll catch up on everything that you missed. Yeah. And then start fighting. You know, it's, I, I would love to take a week off, and I will. When this is all done, I keep, like, I have this vision of having, like, a beautiful woman on an island with no Wi-Fi. That's my, like, life goal, <laughs> to write the end and then that. No yeah. Right. That's what gets me through. Um, but, yes, we will get through this. And I, it, we just have to all do what we can do and whatever we're all comfortable with and I, I well, totally agree with you. Like the in-person stuff is super helpful. Well, you certainly made us feel better. Yeah. That, that was and, the whole point of this podcast. Yeah. We, we just, just really to be wanted- reassured by you that we're going to be okay. <laughs> I, it's very selfish. I agree. But yeah, now I can finally sleep tonight for once. Uh, Amy. Yeah. You have to sleep at night. You have to sleep every night and it's going to be fine. We're going to get to the other side. It's just, it's sort of like the elephant years or dog years, whatever you want to use. Like every month of him is like a year to get our country back to what we've lost for that month. So I Mm -hmm. I just think we want to do whatever we can. And I can't overemphasize the importance of what's happening in 90 days with these midterms. And if we can take back the Congress, both houses, if we can take, we definitely can take the house. If we can take the Senate too and stop what's happening with the Supreme court, Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be a huge benefit to us. And that those are both, I mean, the house is a very reasonable goal. The Senate also, I mean, Texas could swing our way. Nevada could swing our way. So Tennessee could swing our way. There are possibilities. Yeah. Um, So we have to do everything we can in these next 90 days to fight and make sure our friends are on the voter rolls because nine states have purged their voter rolls. Just everything we can to get out the vote and make sure people like stand up and sit. Don't say, oh, I had to wait for 10 minutes. I drove away. Like, look what happened in Ohio this week. <laughs> you know, every yeah. single yeah. vote matters. We all have to vote. Even if you think it doesn't matter, it matters. So Absolutely. this election is super, super important. Yes, yes. All of our listeners, if if you don't, if some of you don't vote, you don't get to listen to this podcast anymore. Yeah. Right? We're drawing the line. <laughs> oh, my God. Everyone's got to vote. I mean, we're going to lose Roe v. Wade. We're going to lose gay marriage, uh, you know, if we don't stop this. So those will be gone in the next year. I don't care what people say that, you know, that he's going to stack the Supreme Court and those things. Yeah. The basic that, especially your generation, I'm older than you ladies, but, my, you know, things your generation has taken for granted with because you've grown up in diversity, those things will be gone and uh, really quickly. So um, if you think it doesn't matter to you because it hasn't yet, it will. It most certainly will. So with that, get to the damn poll. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you so much for for your time tonight. And Uh, for everything you do. What what you do is so important. And listeners, we encourage you to please, um, Amy, what's your handle on Twitter so that people can follow you and get all of the, the latest updates? 
Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Great. Amy underscore Siskind. The website is theweeklylist.org. And you can also find a link there to find the podcast. The podcasts are also called The Weekly List. Yes. And my book is called The List, which is the first year of the Trump era. And I'm in conversations about what to do with the second year, which unfortunately we're on week 91 is coming soon. Uh, but the first 52 yeah. weeks with a table of contents that makes it super easy, or excuse me, an index to, to, um, to sort through as these items come up is, is available. So... Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Amy. All right. Good night. Thank you. Take care. All right. So that was Amy Siskin. Um, I wanted to ask her a question about whether she thought Hillary and Humo were endgame, but then I realized (laughs) that that would be very inappropriate to the Yeah. I think that was wise. (laughs) She she might have liked it. I don't know. There there were a lot... um, Oh, there were so many questions that that I wanted to ask. So I could listen to Amy Siskin talk for days on end. What she's a pro. amazing! Yeah, um, she's so, so yeah, good. Listen to her pod, which I will for sure start doing. I know. I need to. I need that kind of roundup because it is mm-hmm. like a. It's not even a fire hose. What's it? it's like a wave pool of news yeah, yeah. that hits us. I need a roundup that isn't uh, the guys on Pod Save America. Although I do love them. It's, I can't. I can't listen to any more white men. I, I can't really am with the I'm snark. Yeah. I'm absolutely tapped. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do like them. Whatever. But anyway, listen to Amy Siskin's podcast, Faux Show. Yes. All right, now it's time for our listener question. You guys have been so great with sending us questions. We have um, a lot we want to get to, but we're going to spread them out. All right, so our listener's question is, I identify as bisexual, but I find myself being more attractive to women than men. Hmm. Duh. I wonder what that means. (laughs) So a couple of years ago... There's a word for that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So a couple of years ago, I came out to my folks... Didn't go so good, but not so bad. Uh, I come from a Mexican family. When I came out, my mother cried and didn't talk to me for a few days. And my father always had a suspicion. That's just a backstory. Anyways, I don't really flaunt my sexuality around my folks. Um, Just one of those things where, okay, now they all know. Of course, they think it's a phase. So I want to start dating again, and I need your advice. All right, here we go, Sarah. Uh, All right. I just have a feeling that I'm going to be dating a woman. Again, what makes you think that when you're more attracted to women? Think on that a little bit. Ruminate. Okay. Uh, When do you think is a good time to introduce your girlfriend to your folks or bring them around the family? Uh, There's a lot of things at play here. Yeah, a lot. Um, One, I will say just uh, from my wife's experience with a Catholic um, Latin family that definitely um, is a kind of common experience Mm -hmm. that they might not take these things well, um, especially if they're, um, if they're immigrants and all that stuff Mm -hmm. is very taboo. Uh, You know, when Cecilia lived in Peru, she kind of didn't even know that being a lesbian was something that she could be, even though Mm -hmm. this is something where she's like, looking back, I feel so dumb that I didn't know sooner that I didn't come out sooner that I was seeing men for so long. But, um, those, those cultures are so heteronormative and, um, and Catholic stereotypically and that is deep rooted, Mm -hmm. but also 
it sounds like even though your family is having a hard time, that they do love you and they probably just want to see you happy. Mm-hmm. It might take them some time to get used to. Um, I wouldn't bring around anybody who's an awful person, so make sure that you date good women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely that vetting process. Uh, yeah. One thing I would recommend that you that you watch like as sort of a pop cultural reference would be the Thanksgiving episode that Lena Waithe wrote and directed for um, Master of None. Great idea. It is the most picture perfect, like accurate representation of that whole bringing that girlfriend around for the first time kind of thing to a family who, you know, loves you dearly, but is maybe a little uncomfortable about this, part of your your life and who you are um so definitely watch that just just in general i think everyone should but yeah um i think you know bringing someone around your parents that's to me that was like the thing that like i was i had waited until i think i waited until i had a like girlfriend to tell my mom that I was gay because I felt like I needed like a receipt, you know, like I needed, I needed, I, this is how I felt when I was like 22. I needed like that person to sort of legitimize this, that it wasn't just like, Oh, this is just a thing that I'm feeling like, no, this is like a thing. Like I have a person in my life and I'm dating and you know, that sort of thing. It, It almost like legitimizes it, but that's not necessary to come out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, there is never ever going to be a downside to just waiting a while to, to introduce that person. You know, if you aren't comfortable, you know, wait until you're comfortable, wait until, uh, your person is comfortable. Um, because there's really nothing worse than being thrown into something like that when you're not really like as the, as the person, like there's nothing, there would be nothing worse for me to meet my girlfriend's parents if I wasn't ready because, unless you're both really, really fucking ready to possibly go into like an awkward situation, then it's not going to go well. And it's really not fair to put anyone else in that position. So, you know, wait until someone, wait until you you really feel like it's the right person. Um, and then just be clear in your communication with this girlfriend that you bring around eventually, like, you know, here's what we're walking into. Here's what could happen. Um, yeah. And have, you know, kind of plan it ahead of times to where, you know, to where you have a bit of an escape route if possible, if it's really awkward and then just go from there. Clear communication. I would also say, try to, when you do meet the right person, try to sell your family on that person ahead of time. Yes. So, you know, start integrating them into stories, start, you know, show them pictures. And if they see, if they see that you're, you're happy and you have like positive things to say about this other person, then when they meet them, it won't be such the shock. You don't want to just bring someone out of the blue. Yeah. Limit Um, surprises. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Limiting surprises is a good thing. And you know, you don't have to, like every girl you date doesn't need to meet your parents. Like parents, you know, they get, they get attached. Like even, um, I, I had a girlfriend once whose mom kicked them out of the house when they came out and it was not a good situation and they did not like the first girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And so I was very afraid to to meet this mom. And then I met her and she was great to me. She was so so nice and mm-hmm. very uh, welcoming and treated me, you know. So it's kind of like one you never know. 
Um, mm-hmm. Two, I think that in that in that scenario, it's just I'm such an awesome girlfriend. What mom wouldn't love me? Duh. But uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 I think it was a, a matter of like it it was timing. The mom had yeah. comfortable to get used to this idea that you know I was part of the life, and it was like a very serious relationship. So um, she knew that if she wanted to spend time with her daughter, I was probably going to be there too. And Mm -hmm. she was cool with that. So, you know, parents can definitely come around and come a far away. um, But, and even though it seems unfair and even though part of you might be like, I shouldn't have to do all this, they should just be accepting like, but the reality of, is that they aren't. So, yeah, you know. the reality is that they're a little bit weird about it. So do whatever hand-holding you need to yeah. do. And yeah. I think yeah. you'll be all right. I, I hope, hope that helped. Yeah, hope that <laughs> helped you and anybody else. I'm sure yeah. other people are... <sighs> That's a whole thing. I remember being thing. very uh, extremely nervous about that part yeah. of coming out, like to the point where I was like, just like nauseous from nervousness. I knew I, did, I, knew I shouldn't be because you... You have to sort of trick yourself because, like, your your brain is telling you to be nervous about this thing, but even though, like, your heart is like, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. But it's it's a it's a process, and and I can tell you, after like ten years of being out, it's still it it doesn't it doesn't ever fully go away. There's always some little sort of twinge of anxiety when you think about introducing, you know, a partner to your parents. Um, I I still feel that way, so you know, it's okay. I think my mom is still Facebook friends with one of my exes. Yeah, and I yeah. had asked her repeatedly, could you could you not? Because it was a situation where <laughs> could I you cut not, off Dottie. <laughs> yeah. I cut off contact. Yeah, yeah. And then I've they were exchanging Christmas cards. I'm like, hold on there. And she's yeah. like, Well, you you she looked at me at like a mom and I'm like, yeah, Okay, yeah. but Right. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into uh breakups as they involve your parents later on. But for, yeah, for introducing that's a whole time. <laughs> Just communicate and, you know, have have an escape route if necessary. So, All right. So if you have uh, a question you would like us to answer, you can shoot it to us uh, um, in an email, dykingout at gmail.com, or you can send us a message on our Facebook page, Facebook slash dykingout, Instagram, uh, Twitter. We'll, we'll take your questions any way we can. And also, uh, we have our, our new website up, dykingout.com. Check it out. It's nice, and you can see pictures of us and some of our guests and Karina, the intern. We're all there uh, living happily together on a website. <laughs> and you can also, while you're there, donate to our Patreon. So that's yes. patreon.com slash dykingout. If you uh, contribute to us, you can get access to our extra content Diking off topic, uh, you can get temporary tattoos, you can get an enamel pin, and uh, this money helps us keep the podcast going. It helps us pay all the fees for having uh, the websites, for holding the media online, for pushing out the content, for um, getting the sound to sound good, and um, all the things that we kind of want to do with creating even more queer content and being able to uh, just get more lesbian stuff into the universe that's our goal is to just that's keep... why we're on this planet yeah yeah we were put here for a reason yes. and uh we, we won't go until our web series is a right. reality so keep uh, keep supporting us we appreciate it so much thank you for listening and deck out with us next week bye, bye.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.